0: Hello, and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Nate Mancini, I'm one of the founders of Forefront, and I'm joined today by Forefront Chairman, Rich Chrisman. Hi. Forefront Managing Editor, Sean O'Hare. Hey, guys. Today, we're going to be doing an arts review episode, which means we're going to take you around some various pieces of art that we've been consuming recently and review them for you. So, first off, I'd like to hand it over to Rich... Rich, what have you been reading lately? Hi, so I wanted to talk to you guys uh, about a
1: book that's actually been out for two years now. It came out in 2017, but uh, it's called Martin Luther, The Man Who Rediscovered God and Changed the World by Eric Metaxas. So um, it is what you'd think it would be. It's a biography on Martin Luther, but it is extensive. It's about the size of one of the later Harry Potter books, if that's a good metric (laughs) for you. And um, it took me uh, a good couple of weeks to get through it in my spare time, which is, uh, there's a lot of it because I'm a high school teacher and I'm off for the summer. So I had a lot of time to read and it still took me a while to get through. So uh, it's a meaty book. The type is very small and Metaxas has a lot to say about Luther. To kind of talk to you guys about where I I came to this book, how I came to this book rather, is uh, for a couple years, my childhood pastor... Well, I guess it's been out for a couple of years, so perfect timing. But my childhood pastor had been kind of suggesting that me and a bunch of other people that he was kind of mentoring would pick up this book on Luther uh, in order to understand who Martin Luther was as a person, but also to understand Protestantism as a movement better. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but that premise didn't really pique my interest at first when uh, my mentor was kind of suggesting it to me. Um since then in my life, I've been doing a lot of, outside of studies of Martin Luther, I've done, I've read a number of other books about different Protestant and Catholic movements in history. And it's just kind of ironic that uh, this book that had been put in front of me numerous times over the past two years, but I didn't pick up to read, I had been re- reading kind of the peripheral books that were kind of dancing around this big book, which is kind of like a seminal um it is the seminal 21st century book on Luther. Um, it, the book kind of refers within itself to the fact that there have been other you know, massive undertakings on the life of Luther that have been taken. But the most recent one um, that really has serious repute prior to this one, which is again from 2017, came in the 1950s. Mm. So it's been a while yeah. since there's been like a serious de- dive into who Martin Luther was. Um, And the interesting thing is this um, Metaxas book uh, has access to some of Luther's journals Mm -hmm. and some archaeological finds that are more recent than 1950 in towns in Germany where Luther lived, um, particularly when he was a child and at a specific monastery that he studied at early in life, like before he was even um, a priest, and artifacts have been found that have kind of revealed more things about Luther's upbringing. Mm. Um, so, um, why am I reviewing a two-year-old book? Uh, I have, as the, my pastor originally suggested, uh, this book has just blown me away. I, there's so much information about not only Martin Luther as a person, but really, actually more importantly, the context that Martin Luther was living and working mm-hmm. in is what was so uh, revel- revealing to me uh, in the book. There's so much about um, the nature of the Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation is mm-hmm. so different than what I have been taught or come to understand uh, over time, at least from uh, the sources that Metaxas is writing from.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, just really interesting. I mean, one one tidbit that you know just hit me like a ton of bricks was the fact that, extremely few um, so I've heard people say in the past that many f- or very few people in the Middle Ages read the scriptures in their own language which makes right. sense because the scriptures were almost exclusively the Latin Vulgate at that time which was in um, Latin and you know most people in Europe did not speak Latin unless they were academics but beyond that um, the book reveals the fact that the vast majority of monastic orders so these are people that are, are monks that you know we think in today's, like from today's Protestant perspective, I always grew up thinking that monks just read the Bible all day long. Like, what do mm-hmm. monks do except like...
0: What else would he do? Right, like wake up
1: early and sing some psalms and <laughs> yeah. make pretty good bread and beer maybe and read the Bible. That's what I pictured. And, um, but, you know, the book goes into detail about how um, almost none of the monastic orders at Luther's time spent any amount of time with the Bible. At all, And in fact, what they studied was, quote unquote, Christian tradition. So like the things, um, and they read writings that were popularized, um, in textbook form from, um, they were commentaries that were written by contemporaries of, of, these monks at the time, and they right. didn't actually engage with the scriptures themselves.
0: So when Luther started reading the Bible, that was like this huge, light bulb moment for him. This Absolutely. Discovery. Right. This and is so what we've
1: been missing. Exactly. So for years, so what this book has shown me, and this is why I'm recommending it to you now, is regardless of how old this book is, I think it's any Christian should read it, or anybody should read it, but especially a Christian, because I think... I've, for my whole life, I've always grappled with the idea like, okay, Christians know the Bible. Like, I, I take that as a, as a given. If you're a Christian, you know the Bible, right? So I was like, why was Luther, what was so unique about Luther, why was he able to literally revolutionize Western Christianity? And the answer in Metaxas slaps you right in the face with it multiple times is the fact that Luther wasn't necessarily anything special. He just read the Bible. And, like, no one else in his time was reading the Bible. And it's just fascinating. Um, And, again, to underline again, no one, including the church itself. Like, he, teachers that he had in um, seminaries and at monasteries didn't know the Scripture at all and didn't even own copies of the Bible. And at one point in the book, it says that when students of the priesthood became ordained priests, they would often turn in the copies of the Bible that had been given to them to study.
2: Probably could, a scarcity of manuscripts, perhaps, or something? It, or
1: It could be, okay. but that means that, that the majority of active priests in Germany at the time of Luther didn't even own a Bible. Wow. So, you know, just very interesting. So, uh, without giving you know away too much, but the book is, again, the book is multiple hundreds of pages, so there's much to, to look into, but... Um, I recommend it. Um, I actually got it from a local library, so you don't even have to go out and buy it to read it. I recommend reading it. Um, one uh, kind of alternate side or counterpoint that I will give is um, you can tell pretty early on in the book that um, while the author does source everything that he is writing, there's nothing that seems to be coming from thin air or personal opinion. Like Everything is, is sourced and indexed. Um, however, you can tell that Metaxas is coming from a very pro-Luther position. Mm-hmm. So, um, me as a as a reader, I want to continue uh, researching and looking into uh, the life of Luther and his own time, just to like corroborate, you know what mm-hmm. uh, what is actually true. Um, and I think that that's good practice for all of us. As like, if you're looking into a buyer of a person. There's always going to be some sort of bias there. Yeah. We can't all be entirely objective. So right. I recommend this book, but I also recommend to anybody, like, you know, we should we should be reading. We should be reading the Bible. If there's anything you should be <laughs> taking with this, let's read the Bible. But also, um, we should uh, have, on top of reading the Bible, we should be studying our uh, church leaders and mm-hmm. church fathers as well. Um, I, th- I don't think God... Uh, Makes people movers and shakers in the in the kingdom for no reason. We should mm-hmm. we should study what they do as well. So, yeah. so again, that's um, Martin Luther by Eric Metaxas. Nice, cool. And Sean, I think you read that as well, didn't you?
2: Yeah, it's. I'm a little fuzzy on a lot of the details. That's been a few years. So, would you recommend? Um, yeah, okay. I I I come from a place of. Um, Not knowing a ton about that story in the context, like kind of like what you brought up with the historical context of um, what Luther was stepping into at that time. Um, And so it was just helpful for me to just paint a broader picture in my imagination of, of the backdrop for what was happening, why he did what he did. Get an understanding of um, the progression of his stances mm-hmm. throughout. Like one of the things that struck me from that book was, at least as Metaxas tells it, he wasn't a radical from the get go. He was somebody who was right. um, very um, willing to respond to it, right. you know to the to correction of the church, and he just he saw all these problems, and he was very open minded. And then as time went on, that was an interesting thing that stuck out to me. Yeah, about that no, it's very it's really it was very it was a very helpful book.
1: Right. I, I think uh, from what you're saying, I'm remembering, too, the fact that the it's very interesting it, how the idea of reforming the church or creating something that was separate from the capital C Catholic Church at the time was... Not was completely unthinkable Mm -hmm. to people at that time. So now, in a world where there are many, many denominations and kind of brands of Christianity, it's easy for us to think like, "Oh, yeah, he just like started a new branch." Mm -hmm. But like at that time, there, you know, at at least in Western Christendom, there was no other branch. And if you were not a part of that singular branch, you weren't a Christian. So it it really just shows you how. Mm And that, that that evolution, though, that you were talking about is fantastic. Where in the beginning, like, he would never have dreamed of going yeah. in, against the church. But then, mm-hmm. you know, the Bible spoke for itself and, and yeah. things needed to be done. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: it's cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, Sean, what do you have for us?
2: Yeah. So, um, to switch things up a little bit here, um, recently... Um, the rapper NF, Nate Fuerson, I believe that's how you say his name. Um, he released, I think it's his fourth album. Um, and I've kind of been admittedly kind of a fan that's checked in every once in a while. I, I've listened to kind of individual songs throughout the way, throughout the years. And then um, um, I've listened through some of his other, other albums. But um, there was a lot of hype surrounding this album. Um, I think it's been two years since he released his, his last album. And uh, the name of this one is called The Search, and it actually has 19 tracks on it. So it's quite the quite the project. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so there was a lot of hype leading into it, um, and so I definitely checked in for that. And uh, one of the fun things, just to kind of give it a little personal spin on this, um, you know, when I have time where I'm riding my mo- motorcycle around and stuff like that, I have time to, like, listen through, like, a whole album, you know, if yeah. I'm going on a longer trip and, and stuff. Yeah. So I've actually listened through this um Two or three times, probably maybe maybe a little bit more, and that's been interesting as it's kind of opened up. Um, but yeah, just I, I mean, he has a very distinct style, um, very compelling. Um, one of the things that's apparent about his music is that it's very intense um, and it's very raw. And it's actually interesting too because you'll watch him in an interview and he's he seems like a pretty laid back. Um, even keeled kind of a guy, but mm-hmm. it almost seems like his music is an outlet where he really gets into stuff, um, at an intense level. Um, he also has, um, a pretty, uh, and he has some pretty tough stuff in his past. And so a lot of that stuff, he's, he's transparent about it and it comes out in his music. So I think that's what lends that character to his, his stuff. But yeah. the, the name of the album is like, is called the search. Um, and one of the big themes that I drew out of this, there was a lot of different stuff that he was talking about, but one of the big themes that struck me a lot is his um, his talk about success. He's very um, upfront in calling out how success leads to a lot of emptiness. Yeah. Um, and as I took it, part of that meaning of the search is he's searching for something beyond... Um, Success within the, within the hip-hop world. Right. Um, and there's actually... I mean, it's, it's implicit, or he even mentions it in some lyrics throughout the album, but there's actually one track that's devoted to him. It's just a recording of him talking. Mm. Uh, it's about a 60 or 90-second clip of him talking about how a big song from his, one of his previous albums blew up and he's selling out tour dates and in that moment that was juxtaposed against his deep emptiness... Um, and, a, and a dissatisfaction with the, what the what came along with the success that he was achieving at that moment right. um, and it's almost like the songs are leading up to that direction and then he says it explicitly and then that stays with you thematically throughout the, the rest of the album yeah. Um. so that's really interesting to explore that because a lot of times artists don't really get into that a lot Um. So that was compelling and mm-hmm also it's he switches it up a lot there's some there's some very emotional tracks in there um there's some tracks that are more just upbeat and fun. You can tell he's pushing the boundaries he's being creative lyrically and musically um so yeah, overall, I really liked it um just to kind of give you like one of my favorite tracks um it's called Nate and it's a very elegant idea for the for the song It's a good name, yeah. And he <laughs> um, he is talking to himself at a young age, mm-hmm. and he's giving himself advice, he's sharing um things about the future that's going to happen, and it's just a really like deep song about some of the stuff that he went through and some of the stuff that um, he learned along the way yeah. um, and it's it's an opportunity for him to give insight into his life. Um, but I mean, the way that he constructs the conversation back and forth between his younger self and and him, and now he's um, leading his younger self along the way is, is very compelling. Um, I get goosebumps every time I listen to it. Um, so that's a that's a great example. He's he truly is um, a mastermind when it comes to lyrics. He's just he's able to create um, some really interesting dynamics throughout um, his songs. So, yeah, I'd I'd highly recommend it. It's a really fun album, but it's also um, very testing. It's very trying. And there's there's a realness, there's a rawness to his music. Right. Um, One of the things that stuck out to me, actually, and and maybe I'll I'll end on this. Um, I recently read a book by Jake Medor. It's called In Search of the Common Good. And um, one of the things that he talks about in the beginning of that book is kind of what he calls the loneliness epidemic that's in our country right now. Right. Um, and how, um, I don't remember all the specific details in the studies, but he goes through and talks about how, like, large portions of adults in our country, especially, don't feel like they have people they can confide in, yep. don't feel like they have people that are in their corner.
0: More and more people living alone, not a lot of close friends. Yeah,
2: a lot of anxiety and depression that and is... A lot of anxiety is, that
0: results from that. Yep. You
2: know? um we see that playing out in a lot of different ways and i feel like um NF's music speaks to that in a really resonant kind of a way and that's borne out in the fact that his album was the number 1 album for i think at least 2 weeks in a row wow. if not more so um and it came out at the same time as Chance the Rapper's album who's also another right. powerhouse in the industry and you know and he you know he he bested that for like two weeks or something like that. Wow. So I I think there's something to be said there for the way that he's tapping into this real phenomenon that's happening within our country, especially. Right. Um. So it's a it's it's a worthwhile album to interact with, and um, it's very very moving, and and yeah, it's it's great. So. Yep. The name of the album is "The Search," and the rapper is NF.
0: Nice. Cool. Well, what I'd like to talk about today is a book called Images and Idols, and it's by Thomas Terry and Ryan Lister. And uh, Ryan Lister is a theology professor. Thomas Terry is a spoken word artist, and he's the founder of Humble Beast. And uh, this is a book that's about doing creativity as Christians. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So if I could just read the synopsis. It's that uh, God is the creator of all things, and he created us in his image. Creativity is woven into the very fabric of our humanity. Therefore, Christians should value and champion creativity as a vital part of our image-bearing role. Instead, Christians often don't know what to do with creatives, and creatives don't know what to do with Christianity. On one side, you have Christians who neglect or discount art, imagination, and beauty altogether. On the other, you have artists who make idols out of each of these good things. And basically, uh, these two team up to help restore that connection mm. between creativity and theology. They, car- they call it a theological and artistic exploration of creativity in the Christian life. So as you can tell, just based on the <laughs> synopsis, uh, it's it's a very kind of theological book. It's a very sure. kind of high-level book, and it's, um, it's one that... I, I, it's the kind of book that, like, if the forefront team were to write a book yes. about the theology, I was of just art, thinking that, yeah, like this is the book that we would write, um, and somebody already did it, so that, it's, it's kind of thanks, cool. guys. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thank you know, for thanks doing for that. Uh, happy to <laughs> happy to, to send you some some people to read your book, but um, it's it's a great book. I I definitely recommend it, and, and I think that this is a book that. I would love for just all Christian creatives to read Mm. because I think that so so many times when we come into a discussion about the arts, we get very, very deep into kind of a specific issue and we start kind of talking about it. But we don't realize the assumptions that we have coming into that conversation as Christian artists and kind of the the biases and, and the things that we've been through and the things that we're pushing back against and the movements that we're pushing back against and the things that we're trying to promote. And so this book, I feel like, you know, as we read it, it kind of gets us on the same page. Mm. It, it takes us back to the word of God and basically says, like, what, is, what does God have to say about creativity? What's the relationship that we have to God and how we are creative? And so I I just I recommend this book as that kind of that back end, that foundational primer about creativity as a Christian. So whether you're a writer you're a visual artist, you're a filmmaker. I just I just think it's it's a great book to read to kind of just get your mindset in the right place so that as you engage with those deeper and more specific questions, um you're coming from that that foundation of truth. So I think it's really good uh, in, in that way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get into kind of the nitty-gritty specifics about, okay, in each field of art, how do you glorify God? What are a bunch of examples of doing that? And to me, like, sometimes that's a little bit frustrating because I would love to hear more examples of, like, okay, what's tell me, like, an artist who's doing this right or, like, what have you guys been through and stuff? So I'd love to hear more specifics and, you know, maybe there will be a sequel. Especially but, um, <laughs> because
2: especially cause you liked what they were saying up
0: to that point. Yeah, so I'd love to see it fleshed out more. But I understand, like, in many ways, this is a, a kind of theology-of-art yeah. book, and so it does, it does often remain at that theological mm-hmm. level. But everything it says is really good and really true and, and, and big. So to give you just one other kind of lead into to what they talk about, Jackie Hill Perry says in the foreword, Jesus was asked about whether paying taxes to Caesar was lawful, to which he responded with a question concerning likeness. He asked them whose likeness was on their money. They answered him, Caesar's. Jesus then, doing as he always does, responded with something sharp and true. He said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Caesar's likeness may have been on their coins, but God's likeness was on them and on us. Rendering to God what belongs to him won't happen as long as humanity in general, and creatives specifically, assume that they, not God, have a claim on themselves and all that they create. And later she says, God is the first creative and the ultimate source of creativity. Let's look to him as we try to make heaven and earth with our bare hands. So it's just this, this calling us back to the source of our creativity and saying, like you are made in the image of God. You have the, the imprint of God. And so he's the one who owns all of your creativity he is the master of it, and so I think it's it's just such an important reminder and um I hope that you know a lot of you as artists would 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 check it out
2: um what is you talked a little bit about how it takes you back to some foundational things? Was there anything in there that challenged you because obviously you spent a lot of time thinking about stuff with forefront yeah. um was there any things that you had kind of taken? Um, as assumptions about what we're doing here at forefront, some of our philosophy or approach, and then you know they did something to challenge you or maybe um, broaden your perspective on any point or anything. Or mm. so
0: I think that one thing I've been thinking about recently is that Jesus says that He came not to be served but to serve, hmm. and so if a servant is no greater than his master and Jesus is our master then Jesus says we ought to be people who serve and so what does that mean for the Christian artist and so this book in many ways has has made me think about what does it mean to be a Christian artist who serves Mm. what does it mean to serve with your art because so much of what the world is telling you is that your art is ultimately for you. It's self-expression for your good and your glory. But what this book and what I think scripture calls us to is that our art, just like anything else we do, is actually for the good of others and for the glory of God. And so that call is transformational for a Christian in the arts. Because you realize that so much of what you do day to day has been for your temporal good. Mm -hmm. And you haven't been thinking about it as a service. And so I think that I personally need to think of my art more in service of others. Um, Not to win the crowd, but to serve that person in the crowd. To serve others specifically, to love my neighbor. And how do I use my art to do that? and actually make myself small and Christ big. So that that's what I think this this book has kind of reminded me of and, and kind of gotten me to think about. I think it's big.
2: Definitely. That's awesome. That's wonderful.
0: So I'd encourage you all to check it out. Again it's called Images and Idols. It's by Thomas Terry and Ryan Lister. Forward by Jackie Hill Perry. And uh, you can check it out anywhere books are sold. So, thank you so much for listening to Forefront 360. This has been our arts review. Uh, You can check us out online at forefrontfestival.com. Add your voice to the conversation. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other ones, we'd request that you leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about the podcast. And one other announcement we have an event coming up on November 2nd. It's an event that's all about getting together as Christians in the arts and learning about how to do that well, how to pursue excellence in the arts and to do it from a space of authentic faith. That's going to be at Grace Road Church the evening of November 2nd in Rochester, New York. So we encourage you to come out for that. It's going to be a great time.